new series, so if you're visiting with us or if you haven't been here in a little while, you're coming in kind of at the, at the beginning of um, part two of, we don't know how long it's going to be, part two of a series on relationships. Once your relationships are all fixed, then we'll stop. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go till then. Um, but once, uh, the, one of the reasons we want to start talking about relationships is that our life the essence of our lives is made up of the relationships we have. You know, we were talking about that last week. The relationships in your life can bring incredible joy into your life. If you're, like, married to, like, a sweet, amazing woman like me, um, it can bring incredible joy into your life. And then there's other people that can just, you know, in relationship with, like, your boss, uh, your kids maybe, that can bring just incredible amount of pain into your life. And it's this, it's this dichotomy of, of, um, of thought that makes relationships, like, I don't know, is it worth the risk? And, and for us, we talked about that last week, that there's something in us that just doesn't even allow us to consider that. We, we're not meant to be hermits. We're meant to have relationship with one another. And so in this series, we wanted to talk about some of the things that help to make relationships actually work and successful. We're going to focus on marriage, family relationships um, as well. But all of your relationships can be affected by, by what the Bible has to talk about. And the Bible's got some ideals we looked at that last week. There's a few things that as we looked at, we're like, oh, man, yeah, that sounds like stuff my grandparents would have talked about. But that just doesn't look like real life, and it doesn't look like my life. And so what we talked about last week is that as a church and as followers of Jesus, we want to be like Jesus. And Jesus, as we saw from, uh, from, from what we were studying last week, that he embraced um, the ideal. He never stopped telling what was true, but he never let the ideal um, hinder him or stop him from offering grace to what was real. And so as we go through some of this stuff, and that's kind of the tension where, you know, we don't like that. We want to kind of decide one way or the other. And if you missed last week, I really encourage you to, to listen to that, to that message. It will help kind of going forward. But we realize that Jesus lived right in the tension. He, he, didn't, he didn't try and make a decision either way. It drove people nuts, and yet he was able to minister to so many people because of it. And so that's what we want to do too. We want to embrace the ideal and um, be always in a place where we can offer grace to people in their real life. So some of the things we learned last week is you can't change the other guy. You can't change the other person in the relationship. You can offer um, the, the chance, the opportunity for them to change. You can encourage them to change. You can support them to uh, try and change, but you can't change them. And uh, it, we learned that the only person that we can actually change is us. So last week we talked about this idea of looking in the mirror and seeing, you know, some of the things that, that, are, that, that we need to deal with in ourselves. And by changing us, you end up changing part of the relationship and maybe changing the whole thing as a result. Um, last week we talked a little bit about that. But the problem with uh, seeing things in the mirror is that we don't always see things the same. Men and women, for instance, you see things differently in the mirror. Um, saw this online, just had to show it. <laughs> you know, we're skewed. We got this skewed view of how we see things um, when we, yes, I know, isn't it awesome? Um, skewed, skewed view of how we see things. When we look at something, we like, we see something completely different. And that's just in the physical. It's really hard to see the inside of us. And we have an even more skewed view of that. We all think about the inside of us that it's way better than what it, um, what it actually is um, sometimes. But there's this, there's this one thing. There's this one thing. And tonight I just want to call this that one thing. That one thing that divides relationships. It's in us, but we don't really see it. It's that one thing that pushes the people that you care about away, and, and you don't even realize that you're doing it. It's that one thing that stops you from actually doing something to fix relationships. You think about it, you talk about it, but you don't do anything about it. It's that one thing that doesn't let you admit when you're wrong. 
It's that one thing that doesn't allow you to apologize when you're wrong. It's that one thing that doesn't allow you to apologize when you're only a little bit wrong and they're more wrong. It doesn't allow you to, to even make that step. It's that one thing that makes you overcoach your kids in soccer because somehow their skills reflect on you. It's that one thing that will make you cheat before you lose. It's that one thing that won't let you take the medicine that you actually really need. And so, you know, as I was thinking about this, I thought about Buckley's cough syrup. Um, I had a man cold last week, and Buckley's is like the stuff, right? Like, it is, yeah, I know, exactly. If you've had it, you're the face, right? It's like this thing. People swear by it and add it. But its biggest thing is it tastes awful, and it works. It's what it's famous for. It's famous for tasting terrible, but it works. And, um, one of the things that we want to talk about tonight is this, this one thing in us doesn't allow us to take the actual medicine to help fix our relationships. It's, it's this thought of, you know, uh, hey, I know what it is, but I, I just can't get myself to actually take it. It's the one thing that causes you to, to avoid what you really need. Even though it's like, oh, it's going to be difficult, it'll work. But we don't do it because it's difficult. And that one thing, anybody have a guess at what that one thing on the inside of us is besides Zane? Pride. Pride. I know. We're going to talk about pride. And as much as some of you are just like, turn around, Mark, I'm leaving now, right? Uh, this is not one of those fun things. But let me just start with this. Not all pride is bad. Not all pride is bad. If you're, there's some pride that's really good. Um, there's things where, you know, being proud of your children that's a good kind of pride. And you need to tell your kids that you're proud of them. Lots of times, especially when you, when you feel that sense of um, pride of your kids, you need to let them know that. But then there's this other side of pride that won't let you say it. It just stops you from doing it. You know, proud of your spouse. And when they get things, you know, right, and you're like, you, you got the inside, you're like, you're proud of them. But, you know, the other side is like, oh, well, I don't want to go to their head, so, you know, I'm not going to tell. And it's that inner conversation. Um, proud of, you know, your business. Proud of your accomplishments, proud of art, proud of your photography, proud of things that, that, that you've done and accomplished. You know, it's okay to be proud of that. Then there's, you know, like for me, I'm proud of our church. Like when I keep hearing about the small groups that are starting and just the testimonies of, you know, some of the, the people just feeling like, ah, we got to start a small group for, for um, people who are just new to faith. And they're, they're getting all excited about that and helping each other take steps in, your, in growing with Jesus. I'm like so proud of this church. And I just need you guys to know that. I need you to hear it. Uh, I'm proud of you. And those kind of things are okay. That, that kind of pride is fine. But there, there is a dark side to pride. <laughs> the dark side of pride. You know, there, this is the problem. There's such a fine line between the two. The, you know, this good kind of pride where you're, like, you're proud of your kids and you're proud of your child's soccer skills. And that's great. You know, you can be proud of that. The problem is when the fine line gets crossed and now it's like you're proud of their skills, but you start comparing it to the other kids. You're like, well, that kid's three years older and my kid's better. <laughs> that kid's been playing soccer for 10 years and my kid's just that much better. And you start to, the conversation goes in your head and all of a sudden it's like now you're better than the other ones. And that kind of pride... It's not so good. You know, that proud of your accomplishments, you know, which was fine until you start to compare it to others. And you think, oh, man, I'm really a somebody compared to, compared to that person. And uh, it makes you start feeling like you're a little bit better than them because of things you've accomplished. And then it can get ugly, real ugly, real fast. It's, it's those times where, like, the people who you're in competition with, you know, you're, like, bidding on jobs, and the other guy gets the job, and then all of a sudden, you know, breaks his leg or, you know, crashes his vehicle. You just get that little sense of joy on the inside. 
You know, that kid at school that, you know, that did better on the test than you. And, and then, you know, something bad happens to them. You're like, just you feel a little good inside. That's sick. That's twisted. And yet, it's, it's something in us, you know. You, you hear these stories about, about people, and you're like, huh, serves them right, right? Or like the, the sales guy, you know, maybe he's a sales guy at work, and, you know, he's doing better than you, or he got the job that you wanted, and then, you know, all of a sudden, one sale, he loses one sale, and you're like, yeah, yeah, should have been me, right? Like, I should have had the job. There's, there's these thoughts. Maybe it's just me. No, right? Okay. Nobody's raising their hand. Yeah, that's me. All right. Um, but it's that thing. You get this little sense of joy. And, and you know, there's things that happen. It happens to all of us. It, it, pride causes you to do some things. Like, it'll tempt you to lie to save face. We'll lie to save face. A couple of years ago, I, was, uh, I got a phone call from a guy in our church. He's older. He's, um, he's intimidating to me. He goes to Sunday service, so I can talk about him. He called me, and uh, he called me on my phone. And I picked up my phone, and I was talking to him. And about halfway through the conversation, he's like, are you driving? And I was like, oh, darn. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yes, I'm driving. How can you tell? He's like, oh, I can hear the car in the background. I'm like, oh, yeah. And he's like, you know, it's illegal to drive and talk on the phone. I'm like, well, I, I have a, it's not illegal if you have a Bluetooth. And he's like, oh, okay. But I didn't have a Bluetooth. I just, <laughs> I just, he was new to the church. I didn't want him to think ill of me, you know. So um, I, you, start, you start to try and save face. And then after that conversation was over, you know that Holy Spirit starts getting in on you. It's like, listen, you know, you might be proud of the fact that he thinks better of you, but you're not authentic. You're not that guy. You know that you were driving uh, and talking on your phone, and you know that you just lied to the guy, and you need to call him back and tell him. And I'm like, no. I'm calling him back. I'll email him. So I did. Uh, <laughs> it's so much easier to do that via email, right? And so I, I emailed him. I said, listen, you know, whatever. And so he calls me back. And the first thing he says is, are you driving? I'm like, no, you know. I'm like, but, but it's that feeling, right? It's like it, there's something in us that, that we don't want the other person to think of us in a certain way. So we're going to, we're so tempted to lie. And it's that ugly side of pride that does that in our lives. And pride, it masquerades itself as all kinds of stuff. Sometimes insecurity in us is masked as pride. I was talking to Beth the other, the other night. Uh, I, again, I don't know why I share this thing, but I will. So um, when I was, my parents were actually friends with Beth's parents when we, were, when we were kids. And when I was 12, we went to their house. And I was kind of really attracted to one of the DeVries daughters. I won't say which one. Um, uh, and it, uh, just for the record, it wasn't my wife. But uh, <laughs> she was five, right? So, uh, so, <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, I won't tell this one tomorrow, but for you guys. So uh, we went to their house, and um, we're at their house, and, and we got in the door, and all of a sudden I realized my hair just wasn't perfect. I just happened to notice it in the mirror. And so I went to the bathroom, and I got water, and I put it on my hair, and, and I make sure it was, like, going to be perfect just in case. You know, whenever she saw me, like, maybe the feelings would be mutual. And so I stayed, but then I realized my hair's wet, and she's going to know. So this is, like, really weird. So I, I stayed in the front entrance in the boot room for 30-something minutes waiting for my hair to dry because I was so insecure. Like, this, this sense of, you know, uh, what they think matters. I know it sounds so weird. You've never done anything like that. I just want to make you feel a whole lot better about yourself tonight, right? So, so it's, it, um, I, I don't even know how that ended. All right, so, but it'll make you do crazy things. That's what I'm saying. Pride will make you do crazy things that later on you, you laugh at, but boy, you know, it's so, it's so messed up. And in this, in this thought, we all seem to have that, and we don't realize that pride can actually control you. 
and it begins to control you. It's like you want to do something, and then that voice kicks in and says, wait, wait a minute, you should lie. Wait a minute, you need to do this. Wait a minute, you should, you know, and it's, it's, those, it's those things. And it's that one thing. And the reason I want to talk about tonight is we're in this whole series of relationships. This will be the thing that in every other week when you feel like those little darts on the inside, like, oh, yeah, that's me. I need to do this in my relationship. This thing is going to say, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't need to do it. There's a quote that says, pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except for the one who has it. Everyone around you can see it, but you just don't notice it in yourself. So some, as we go through this, maybe there's going to be times where you've got to ask somebody and say, hey, you know what? How do you see pride in my life? I know you probably aren't going to do that. It's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. But if you really want to deal with these things in your life, we've got to recognize it for what it is. So let me tell you a story. It's from the Bible. It's in 2 Kings. You can turn there if you want. 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. It's after 1 Kings. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It'll be on the screen, but just so you can trust what I'm saying. It says this. The king of Aram had great admiration for this guy named Naaman. So we're going to talk about this guy named Naaman for, for a minute. It says he was the commander of his army. So great admiration for him. He was a commander. He was a somebody. And because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. And leprosy, you know, even though he was this great and amazing, strong, famous guy, he had this, this disease, this thing called leprosy. And leprosy back then could have been any number of, number of things. Uh, any kind of sort of skin disorder that happened, they would, they would put it under leprosy. But there's a possibility that it was actually leprosy, which, which was a, um, a nervous system disorder. You'd see it in the skin, but people lose feeling in their, in their joints, feeling in their, in their digits, and, you know, if they hit their finger, they wouldn't feel it, and pretty soon, they, like, if they're, if without pain, those things would rot away, and for most people who weren't famous, wealthy, and rich, if you got leprosy, your relationships were cut off immediately. You're banished from whatever city you lived in. You lived in a colony with other lepers, and that's where you stay, stayed. And anytime somebody came near you, you had to scream out, leper, leper, unclean, so that no one else would come near you and get it. And so this man named Naaman, he, um, for, for, for him, realizes that he gets it. Um, he has this, this disease. Well, he had a little slave girl that lived at his house, and so sort of the middle of the story. She said, you should go to Israel. There's a guy there, a prophet, someone who knows the Lord. He can, he can pray, and he, he can see that you, you know, you'd be healed. He does miracles. And so he decided he was going to go, and he took this massive gift, and the king sent him. And so he said, you know, I'm going. He took all this stuff, and he went to the, uh, to the place, and he ended up at the doorstep of this prophet Elijah, and he comes to the doorstep, and this is where the story picks up in verse 9. So he says, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he brought a lot of stuff, and he waited at the door of Elisha's house, but Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored, and you'll be healed of your leprosy. Not too big of a deal. And yet Naaman says in verse 11, instead of being, yeah, that's awesome, I'll go do that, thank you, he gets angry. Naaman became angry, and it says he stalked away, stomped away, you know, had a little hissy fit. And he said this, I thought, I thought that he would certainly come out to meet me. I thought that he would come out to meet me. He said, I expected, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. And then it says, aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and the far are better than any of the rivers of Israel. Aren't those things better? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and, uh, and went away in, his, in a rage. 
And then it says in uh, verse 13, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? He says, so you should certainly obey him when he says, simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River. He dipped himself in it seven times as a man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. Amazing, amazing miracle that almost didn't happen. Why? Because of that one thing. That one thing. Pride. It does things. For, for one, it deprioritizes all the other people in the story. When Naaman comes into the thing, it's all about him. That's all he can think about, and he thinks he's better than he really is. Naaman thought he's the most important person. He thought he was smarter than everybody else. He thought that his ideas were better than everybody else's. His remedy was better than what Elisha had, had said. You know, he says, uh, you know, that, that idea of, okay, that's what I should do, fine. The man of God says, that's what I should do. That's actually what God's telling me I should do, but no. I got a better plan. I got something else that, that I want to do. And pride, you just see it sneaking in there. We look at it and go, Naaman, you idiot. Right? You're, you have your leprosy. All you got to do is this. Even his people around him, they couldn't say that for fear of getting their head lopped off. But they had the same thought. Naaman, like, are you kidding me? It's, it's so simple. And yet pride was just destroying him from inside. He was too proud to actually do what was needed. You know, he said that, 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 uh, that question, why shouldn't I go and do this, is the same thought as why should I? Why should I do what this guy says? Why should I do it? And you're going to get those things as we start talking about different relational things. It's going to be that question, why should, I, why, why should I do that? You know, why shouldn't I just do what I've been doing or why shouldn't I try something different? And he didn't see it in his own life. Here's the trick and here's the crazy part. He didn't see it in his own life like we just talked about. His servants came. They pointed it out to him. He had people in his life who said, Naaman, oh, buddy, are you seeing what you're doing? He had those people in his life. Do you have those people in your life? Because pride will actually push those people away because you don't want to hear what they want to say even though they can see what you really need to hear and what you really need to see. Pride almost cost him his healing. You know, a couple weeks ago, not my notes, but just thought of it. A couple weeks ago, I was stressed, stressed right out. We're, we're, we're talking about some of the growth of our church and some of the things that we, we need to do as a church. And I'm sitting there on the couch, I'm telling Beth, I'm like, hon, I just don't feel like I'm a good enough leader to actually take our church where it needs to go. I feel like I'm always behind. I just can't find, the, you know, enough people to take the, the reins and kind of lead. And she's like, are you listening to yourself? I'm like, what? She's like, I, me, I don't think I'm, it's not your church, she says, it's his. You don't think Jesus can handle his church? I'm like, oh, boy, did I ever need that, right? It wasn't, wasn't a lot of fun to hear, but it was that thought of realizing, hey, somebody on the outside can say, you're stressed now over nothing. Don't you realize that he's got it covered? Just revealing pride in our lives and being able to deal with it. Too often, pride will push those very relationships away. You know, the response to that, can push those away. Gatorade used to ask this question. Maybe they still do. They ask this question. Is it in you? They mean Gatorade, but I don't ask you the same thing. Is it in you? Is that pride in you? Is it there? As we're talking about this, you feel like squirmy? Do you feel like, oh, some of those things, yeah, that could be me? That's not me. That's Holy Spirit just kind of poking at that, that bit of pride because it might be in us. And for some of you, you're not sure you don't dare ask anybody, so I'm just going to give you a little test. You can answer the questions silently in your mind if you'd like. So here, here's some of the things. Just quick ten questions. Yes or no, you don't need to shout out. Do you long for a lot of attention? Do you long for a lot of attention? Do you become jealous or critical of people who succeed? Do you always have to win? 
Anybody three for three? Right? <laughs> do, you, do you have a pattern of lying? Do you have a hard time acknowledging when you're wrong? Do you have a lot of conflicts with other people? Do you cut in line anywhere? At the store, the airport, on the highway? Do you get upset when people don't honor your achievements? When they don't notice when you've done something? Do you tend more toward an attitude of entitlement or thankfulness? Do you honestly feel you are basically a good person and superior to others? So if you um, gave yourself one point for every answer that's true of you, if you scored between one and ten, you're proud. If you got zero, you're super proud. (laughs) See, it's in us. It's in us. And pride, that thing, that one thing, it's got the ability to affect every area of our lives negatively. That dark side of pride can affect your finances. Some of you, you need to be at the financial course, but you won't go because you don't want anybody to see you there. You want people to think they got it all together. Addiction, you know, it'll keep you so stuck until you're willing to admit the first step in any addiction recovery is this idea of admit. And you're like, yeah, I know I need, but no, oh, I couldn't go. What if somebody saw me there? Marriages. Man, this thing, that one thing, it'll keep you from going to see a counselor, whether it's together or even alone. And then, you know, once you get there and you secretly go see a counselor, that one thing on the inside is actually going to keep you from doing what the counselor recommends. It's why marriage counseling is 80% ineffective. I thought about doing that, but I just couldn't live with that, you know, 20%. Just wouldn't, just wouldn't work. But 80% ineffective. Why? Because so much of, of what we think is people go and they go and seek help, but when they go to seek help, they think going was the cure. I don't have to do what they said. I went and tried counseling. I know I'm meddling. Sorry. Some of these things... Some of these things, they're not easy to do. Some of these things are worse than Buckley's. And yet, (laughs) they are. And yet, they're the medicine that we need. And that one thing inside of us is going to push all that stuff away. Hundreds of years after Naaman, Jesus arrives on the scene. And he lives out this radical version of humility and putting others first. There's Andy Stanley shares something on this. Uh, it's a series you can find online called Killing It. And he talks about this little, this little, um, this little uh, part of the story, which I just thought was so cool. I wanted to share it with you. Um, that Jesus, as, he's, as he arrives on the scene, he lives out and demonstrates a totally different and radical version of humility and putting others first. When you see Jesus and how he dealt with things, he was the one who actually reached out and touched lepers. He actually went out of his way to restore relationship with those who had had it taken away simply because of something that was happening with their skin. And when he touched them, they were healed. There was this amazing part of of, um, restoration that could happen just because he simply said, I'm going to do it differently. He changed the idea of what greatness was. You know, I see so many people um, that their idea and their thought and their purpose and pursuit in life is happiness. I just want to be happy. But I want to encourage you to change your view and say, I want to be great. I want to be great. Like, well, that's just pride. It isn't. Jesus actually changed the idea of what greatness looked like as well. The disciples wanted to be great, and you can be great and happy. But there's this thought where, um, where John, 
He be, John and Luke both, well, actually a bunch of them, they record this scene near the end of Jesus' life. It's a pretty famous scene. You might remember this, um, not from being there, but you've seen this picture, right? So now, um, the end of his life where Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's the Last Supper. And you know these guys, you can even see it in the picture. I love it. I didn't even notice this before. But you can see they're kind of like disputing things, right? They're in their little groups, and they're all like a little bit angst. And, and then there's just Jesus in the middle and John sleeping there. I think that's John. Looks like a woman. But that's, um, you know, the, the rest of them are kind of angry. And if you read Luke, and Luke talks about this and says they start arguing. They're all arguing about who's the greatest. Who gets to sit closest to Jesus? Who's the greatest um, person? And then Jesus, um, he kind of starts dealing with it. Because even then, and in all of us, we think this idea of, uh, of pride, that, that pride tells us that, that it tries to make us think that we're bigger or that we're greater. But the actual truth is that it's the opposite that happens. Pride makes us smaller. And pride actually pushes the people away in our lives. You know, it's been said that pride makes us so full of ourselves, there's just no room for anyone else. We just don't realize that it's happening. So Jesus begins to talk to them about greatness, and he just changes the whole idea. And he explains to them that night that greatness isn't about how well you're served. It isn't about where you sit at the table or how many people do stuff for you. He says, greatness is how you serve one another. And then he goes and does something just unheard of. The leader gets up, and we don't, we're not theirs. So we, we don't do this in our culture. Um, we don't come over to people's houses, you know, like go to Bill and Janet's, and then, you know, Bill gets out the towel and says, here, step in the wash base. I'm going to wash your feet, right? We just don't do that. But there, they're walking through disgusting things, manure. It's all, all this, the smells, like the dirt, the grime from a, a day's worth of walking. And Jesus gets down on his knees with his hands, the same hands that healed lepers, the same hands that raised dead people. He starts rubbing and washing their feet. And they're like, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is greatness. He says, if you want to be great, he says, learn to serve. Learn to, learn to serve um, one another. You know what's crazy? Jesus was serving these disciples, serving his followers, but he's also serving Judas. He served the one man who backstabbed him. He served his enemy. And it says, as they're going through this, he demonstrated this. And Paul, when he wrote to the churches later on, he wrote to this group of, of followers in this little town called Philippi, and he wrote this to them. In Philippians chapter 2, if you're following along, he said this. In your relationships, he's talking about in the first two verses, he says, this is all about your relationships. He said this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. There's our word. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for, um, only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though it was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be or something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself again in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. He said these things. He says, you know, Paul's saying, hey, to, the, to you followers of Jesus in Philippi, to followers of Jesus from here on in, he says, think of others as better than yourself. Let me ask you a question. What if your spouse did that for one day for you? What would your marriage be like on that one day? I watched this video with our kids the other night, the terrible, horrible, rotten day, Alexander something, great little movie from Disney. But what if it was the opposite? What if like the prayer of your life was like, oh, if my wife would only just treat me in a different way, if that happened, if only my kids would think, of, uh, would think of, of my feelings before their own, what if they did it for just one day? 
What if the person at work, what if your boss did this? They thought of you above themselves for just one day. What would that look like? Well, my question for you is what if you did it for just one day? What would it look like if you did it for them for just one day? I was reminded of the story of little Billy and Johnny, I don't know their names, where Billy and Johnny are at breakfast one morning, their mom's making them pancakes, and they just, they're so hungry, they're just fighting over who's going to have the first pancake. And as um, she's getting ready, she can't take it anymore, and so she says to them, she's got one pancake ready, and she says to these two as they're fighting, she says, listen, if Jesus was here, he would say, you know, let my brother have the first pancake, and I'll have the next one. And so right away, Billy, as they put the pancake down, he says, all right, Johnny, you be Jesus this time, and grabs a pancake and eats himself. <laughs> you know, and that's how we are all the time. We want that other person to be Jesus. We want them to deal with their pride. We want them to humble themselves and treat us differently. And he just said, listen, I want you to have the same attitude as Jesus. And we're like, well, that same attitude of the one who was serving those who, you know, should have served him, the one who served his enemies, Man, that's tough. But he says, you know what? Jesus, he's the greatest. He's the greatest. He was, he was God. He didn't think that being God was something to be um, held on to. You know, we're always striving for this position where eventually we're going to get here and people are going to serve us. You know, I'm going to be like the pastor where people bring me coffee after service, which I really appreciate but don't necessarily need. But, you know, that's a, that you aspire for things. And it's like, this is that, that thought, right? And we want to get to there. And he's saying, listen, you're thinking of it the wrong way. Jesus humbled himself, which is choice. Humbled himself and just chose. And it says this, he chose to see others as more important than himself. C.S. Lewis said this, true humility, this is the way you kill that pride thing in your life, is this, true humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. So many people walk around like, oh, I'm just nobody, I'm a nothing, and, and they think that's humility, and they, they've got, they allow insecurity, but we learned earlier that that's just pride in a, in, a, in a costume. He says this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And Jesus, same one who humbled himself, it says he humbled himself to wash their feet, and this is powerful. He humbled himself all the way to death on the cross. And he says, let the same attitude be in you. Humbled all the way to death on the cross. He's not asking you to do that. He's asking you to say sorry. He's asking you to apologize, to humble yourself enough to, to start um, initiating reconciliation. He's, a, he's um, um, uh, asking you, to find a way to serve your spouse. He just wants you to tell your children that you're proud of them. He just wants you to admit when you're wrong and live authentic in truth. He wants you to take control of pride before it takes control of you. He humbled himself to the, to, to the death of the cross. You think about it, it's big because of this. It's huge because of this. Jesus, if you think about it, he was right all the time. I know, we think that's our wives, but it's not. It was Jesus. He was, he's the only one who was right all the time. He was incredibly wronged, and yet he was the one who initiated reconciliation. Man, for any of us who think, you know what, we're right. They're the ones who are wrong. They're the ones who need to apologize. They're the ones who have to take the first step. Man, it's a good thing he didn't wait for us. He took the first step for us. Too often we're waiting for somebody else to apologize first. You know, it's all their fault, or it's mostly their fault. In our relationships, we feel like, you know, it's, it's somebody else has got to make that first step. But it was all our fault, and Jesus initiated restoration for us. And it's our pride. It's our pride that even keeps us from admitting that, admitting that we need a Savior. 
Some of you like hanging out here because you're like, oh, those are, you know, I like the people here. They make me feel good. When it comes down to that idea of, do I need a Savior? There's this thing inside you that says, ah, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think I'm all right. I think, I think I'm good enough. I think I'm okay. The Bible just talks about how pride just takes away any room for God in our lives. And yet he wants that. He wants that. So I have a couple questions for you tonight. I challenge you to ask yourself these questions. As we kind of go through this series, to just think about some of these thoughts and say, hmm, what relationships in my life are being affected right now because of my pride? What relationships in my life are being affected right now because of my pride? What can I do to destroy the dark side of pride in my life? How can I begin to initiate reconciliation, uh, reconciliation with others? What relationships in my life right now are being affected because of my pride? And the last question is this, how much longer? How much longer are you willing to allow pride to control you? How much longer are you willing to allow pride to control you? Because humility is the choice that we make on the other side. Pride doesn't just affect you. It affects all those around you. You don't even realize it until oftentimes it's too late. People have been pushed too far away. I'll leave you with this story. In 1986, in the Black Sea, just off the coast of Russia, it was nighttime. Two ships were heading towards each other. And for 45 minutes, these two ocean liners knew they were on a crash course. They knew that, they were gonna, that, that one of them was going to have to move or they would hit. Neither of them, even though they sent messages back and forth, neither of them was willing to um, yield the right away until the very last minute. The one captain actually said, don't worry, they are going to move. And it says that both, of, um, both thought the other would eventually divert their course, but they did collide. And the one ship, the one with the most people on it, over 1,000 people, sunk in 15 minutes. They had no time to lower the lifeboats. Over 300 of them drowned that night. And both captains survived. Both captains were arrested. It's how we know the story of the fact that both these captains knew and yet their pride wouldn't allow them to divert their course. Pride wouldn't allow them to uh, make a change, make a difference. And that one thing costs the lives of over 300 people. In our, in our lives, it's not usually that people are dying as a result, but relationships are. Relationships are. The relationships with your kids, relationship with your spouse, it's dying because of that one thing. How much longer are you willing to allow pride to control See, the invitation to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to unfollow pride. The saying, I want to follow you, Jesus, I want to have the same attitude that you had, forces you to say, you know what, pride, I ain't letting you control me anymore. I'm going to say sorry, because that slaps pride in the face. I am going to, even though they're more wrong than me, I'm going to step out of that uh, and, and make it right. Pride is that idea of, you know what, I know that I don't want anybody to know about my issues. I don't want anybody to know about my addiction, but I'm going to go tell somebody because, pride, you've not helped me at all. You've made it worse for me. I am going to admit and I'm going to do something about it. Pride, you know, it's that, that thought of, you know what, I'm going to be the first one to take, that, to take the step of just acknowledging that there's issues in my life, issues in my relationships. I'm going to make the step to do that. Will you admit, acknowledge, and destroy the pride in your life? Or will you allow that one thing to continue to destroy you? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at different things, practical things, things you're like, ah, oh, I could do that. I promise you this voice is going to come in and say, yeah, they need to do it first. Or why should I? 
Why should I? I could do this instead. The reason I want to talk about this tonight is our future relationships depend on it. Our future relationships with our kids, with our coworkers, with our spouse, they depend on this one thought. That we deal with that one thing in our lives that's pushing them away, keeping them away, dividing us, ruining us. So I'm just going to leave you with that. I'll let you sit with that for a week because I've had to sit with it for a few. It's, uh, it's those days when you get home and like you have those conversations and you realize and it springs up. You're like, that's pride. I challenge you. Kill it. Kill it. Have the same attitude that Jesus had and say, you know what? I'm going to humble myself because I'm a follower of him and my future relationships matter to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that this is not just something we can talk about and go from here, but Holy Spirit, that you live inside of us and you're the one desiring to change us. Thank you for what you're doing in me. Thanks for what you're doing in my relationships. It's not always easy, but thank you. So tonight I pray for that same courage and that same strength for those in this place that as they feel your nudge on the inside and they feel that grip of pride just uh, at the same time. God, I, I just thank you that, that you lead and direct us and, and uh, give us the opportunity to change and give us the power to do it. And so I pray for them this week. Pray for us as we go from this place that, that relationships not only be affected for us, but that people would see you in us. And that maybe, maybe people are going to uh, have the chance to meet you and know you personally and find the hope and joy and love and life that, that you give. May we shine bright for you this week, especially with those closest to us. In your name we pray. Amen.